KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. Childhood obesity has been an ongoing problem in America. So what effect has the COVID-19 pandemic had on it? The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation has released a new report that looks at the state of childhood obesity in America. The problems here go very deep. It is much more than just a simple answer of getting kids to eat less junk food. And we wanted to learn more, including what the numbers say about our area. So we caught up with Jamie Vassell. She is a senior program officer for the Robert Wood Johnson Johnson Foundation. This is important stuff. Give a listen. So to start this report, the data in it, focusing on youth obesity, obviously been a problem. I'm going to assume still a problem. Where are we? Is it getting worse? Has it been exacerbated by the pandemic? Kind of give me the, the overview. So Matt, absolutely. Bottom line is childhood obesity rates are still far too high children of color and those who are living furthest from economic opportunity continue to be at greatest risk. And yes, in fact, the COVID-19 pandemic is likely exacerbating rates. How much worse has it gotten? Can you give me some context? So um, the one data set that we lift up in the report comes to us from a federally supported survey called the National Survey of Children's Health. That's for kids age 10 to 17. Um, That data, given the nature of how that data is collected and analyzed, we would not expect today to actually see impact of COVID um, yet on those rates. So with that data set, we're seeing essentially steady state. Um, you know, over the past years and continue deep, persistent, stark disparities. We also lift up other sources of data in our report, um, and those are absolutely pointing to impacts of COVID on childhood obesity. What is it about the the pandemic that has exacerbated this? Is this a, you know, people struggling financially, don't have the ability to get good food and and have to rely on fast food. Like, can you kind of extrapolate that out? Yeah, it it's all of the above. So millions of families struggling with food insecurity. Our nation's safety net is fragile, outdated, out of reach for millions of eligible kids and their caregivers. Safe, affordable housing is scarce. That's forcing families to make really hard choices about how to spend limited resources. We've obviously seen huge job loss um, and changes in income realities. And structural racism is embedded in our policies, our practices, our systems that kind of underlies all of these challenges. And the COVID pandemic has made all of these issues a whole lot worse. So, you know, when we see increases in childhood obesity rates, none of us should be surprised. And the whole truth is that the relationship between COVID-19 and obesity and the disproportionate impact that we're seeing across the board for communities of color, for black and brown populations, is an example of the consequences of longstanding structural racism in this country. And they're a direct result of intentional policies that have limited access to care or created social circumstances that really increase risk of disease. So again, you know, none of this should come as as a shock um, that we're seeing increases in childhood obesity rates. We have every single system in our lives has been disrupted by COVID. And so no surprise around impact, profound impact on kids of color um, and kids from lower income households on both obesity and COVID. Childhood obesity 
kind of take me the ripple effects of that. What are yes. the what are the concerns of not just maybe not being healthy in the moment, but what it can lead to, yeah. the problems it can cause? Yeah. So, you know, well, I'll say, Matt, like obesity is impacted by so many factors and it is so deeply influenced by community conditions. So we can, you know, we can talk about that. But in terms of, you know, what obesity does in the way of putting kids at greater risk for some really grave diseases like heart disease, like type two diabetes, like some types of cancer. So, so this is a, an incredibly important challenge that our nation has continued to be faced with and really puts kids' health and well-being in the long term, like through adolescence, early adulthood, and well into adulthood um, at greater risk for diseases that can profoundly impact their ability to live well and be healthy. You talk about the structural racism. I don't think anybody that's been paying attention should be surprised by that. Can you... Explain a little more, though, like tangibly how it's kind of weaved into the system. Yeah. So, you know, when we talk about structural or what others um, call systemic racism, that's race based unfair treatment that's been built into policies, laws, practices. And we see that playing out in in housing, in education, in employment, in the media. Um, in healthcare, in our criminal justice system. And so what these patterns and practices do is continue to reinforce discriminatory beliefs and values and mindsets and distribution of resources, all of which profoundly affect people's health. Um, so, you know, we can look at, um, for instance, uh, racial segregation in communities. We can look historically back at, um, you know, uh, um, things around who was eligible for mortgage and who was not, and, you know, who was bankable and who was not. I mean, these are, these are historical things that have happened in this country that we really need to kind of understand the history and the current context if we're going to really unpack the root causes of these disparate effects that we're seeing on what I would say are the twin pandemics of obesity and COVID um, in order to really craft meaningful policy responses that are going to make a difference for, for kids and families. Specifically to our area, I know the work you guys did, the data you have, you, you dig pretty deep. I think I, I saw going through the report, there was specifically uh, a look at Philadelphia. Uh, I want to talk about the states, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, but can you show me what, can you tell them, talk about what the numbers in Philadelphia showed? Sure. So um, as I mentioned, Matt, there are other um, data sets that we lift up in addition to the National Survey of Children's Health, which is the, the newest national data, but um, there's specifically data in the city of Philadelphia that is absolutely showing impacts of the pandemic on the worsening of childhood obesity. In fact, obesity rates for this particular data in Philly among youth and between the ages of two and 17 show um, changes from 13.7% in 2019 to 15.4% in 2020. So that's an increase of, you know, almost two percentage points. And again, that's specific for the city of Philadelphia. Um, in terms of where the state of Pennsylvania is in comparison to the national rate, Pennsylvania is a little bit lower than the national average, which is 16.2%. And that, again, looks at kids between the ages of 10 and 17 
Philadelphia is at 15.10%, which ranks you um, at uh, number 30. And again, we don't like to get totally wrapped up in, in the ranking. I think what's important is um, to know, you know that, that we all have a ways to go and that these numbers are still far too high, even if they're hovering right around the national average. And I should have asked this at the outset, and it's one of those things I think when we talk about this, we take for granted, but we don't really. What determines obese? Like, is there, what is the benchmark so that we kind of yeah. know what we're talking about? So again, with the adult population and, and with children, we use a measure called body mass index. It is not a perfect measure. It is a measure that we have. And it's based on a mathematical calculation using an individual's height and weight. Um, and there's sort of a spectrum where, you know, somebody with a BMI, you know, under 19 is underweight from 19 to about 25 is, is average weight. And then 25 plus is overweight, obese. With children, we actually look at it. Um, children are considered having overweight if they're at 85 percentile and anything above 95th percentile is considered in that obese category. Again, it's a a mathematical calculation, it's not perfect. It's the measure that we have. How do we, I mean, I know on different levels, we are trying to address this, but if we really want to dig into this and really want to focus in and try to overcome all the hurdles that have been put in place over decades, how do we start? Where do we start to really try to attack childhood obesity? Maybe I'll start by uh, lifting up some of the positives that we've seen as a consequence of COVID. So Congress, our federal government has deployed huge flexibilities across all of our major food and nutrition programs over the last year and a half. These have made a profound difference in terms of people's ability to access the programs, the ease to get on the programs, the um, user friendliness of them. But what's important is that Many of these flexibilities, if you will, are temporary emergency relief measures, um, which essentially means it's like putting a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. And so what we need is to think bigger and bolder about lasting solutions to ensure that every kid in America has a fair shot at growing up healthy, um, as healthy as possible. So, for instance, um, we, the federal government, has approved free universal school meals across the country from the 2021 to the 2022 school year. That's a great and really important um, thing that has happened. Um, but we're really pushing for the permanency of that. So not just through this, you know, challenging year, but through, you know, all the years ahead to be able to provide resources to schools and kids and families to ensure that every kid has access to a consistent source of healthy food. Um, we want to see extension of eligibility of WIC um, to, to moms, at least through um, their child's second year of life. Um, and in addition, expanding eligibility the kids through the age of six. So right now, um, WIC is cut off at the age of five. We want to see extension and expansion of other programs that we know are lifting families out of poverty. As an example, the recent enhanced child tax credit that everyone is receiving. Um, and we know that just after a month, actually, of that expanded payment, the percent of families that are um, reporting that they sometimes or often do not have enough eat has declined significantly. So these are all really important things um, that we want to see exist in perpetuity. In addition, and Pennsylvania is a state that has expanded Medicaid, we 
We want to see a close in the Medicaid coverage gap. That's really important and would improve health outcomes and go a really long way in reducing um, racial and ethnic disparities. So, um, so all that to say, Matt, there are tons of things that could be doing. You know, we have a lot to learn from what's been able to be deployed as a consequence of a consequence of COVID, and um, we need to be thinking about some of these solutions in a much more long-lasting way. You mentioned the child tax credit. I know there's the big reconciliation human infrastructure bill they're talking about in Congress. You know, if I had to forecast, I think we'll see it passed. What it looks like, I don't know. But are there things talked about? Are there core issues within that that would go a long way towards some of the things you just talked about, either address them or at least open the door to making them possible? Yeah, you bet. So I think with these huge, the huge infrastructure bills that are on the table right now, I mean, that's going to go really far in terms of altering community conditions um, that we know profoundly impact kids and families' ability to be healthy and live well in the places and spaces that they reside. So, you know, I think all of these additional supports, um, you know, together, we could see a real sea change. Um, and so I remain like really optimistic um, and, and hopeful about this. And, and I think, you know, look, COVID-19 is going to be studied for generations to come. That's clear. Um, and I think, you know, what the world is going to learn is going to depend on what we're able to see today. So did we recognize the underlying conditions that have exacerbated inequities in this country? And did we confront those inequities as a moral imperative? And was all of our imagination strong enough to Imagine, you know, living in an America that allows everyone a fair and just opportunity to live the best, healthiest life possible. Um, so, so I think, you know, COVID presents us with sort of an unprecedented opportunity um, to rethink our policies um, and our systems and, and redesign programs in a way that prevents disease and promotes the health and well-being for everyone, especially, you know, those kids and families and communities that have been most impacted both by COVID and childhood obesity. I've asked other people this, and just in talking to you, how much of a disservice are we doing specifically with that infrastructure bill? So much focus is on $3.5 trillion, the big scary number, and not digging in to the difference as you, you know, just kind of laid out in 45 seconds, wouldn't we do ourselves a much more of a service by saying, here is what we're trying to do and not just talk about budgets and deficits and things that people pretend to care about? Yeah, you you bet, Matt. I mean, again, I, I think that, you know, our commitment needs to be, you know, again, we're, we think a lot about childhood obesity. Um, I think a lot about childhood obesity. Our commitment to that has to be the commitment to ensuring that every child in America has a fair shot to grow up as healthy as possible. And to me, that's what the frame should be and the messages should be. And, and you know, moving from, you know, where we're at today in terms of the realities for kids and families um, and the resources that they have today and actually moving to um, a place where, you know, the resources that they have are those that we know are necessary for all kids to thrive. And, and I wish those were the messages that were promulgated. And I'm curious, we've talked and obviously, you know, most of the discussion is uh, the the availability of good food for kids. 
are we doing enough to promote on the other end exercise and when we talk about obesity so much and understandably so is focused on on the diet and intake but are we are we missing opportunities on the other end making sure kids get enough play i mean you know chances to to wind out the energy uh are we putting enough focus on that yeah so maybe i'll answer that question in a slightly different way matt that might not be as satisfying but i'll say Access to healthy, affordable food, opportunities for safe physical activity, super duper important. But as important is whether or not that child has a safe place to call home. Does mom or dad benefit from family support policies and a living wage? Does that child and family have access to health care and, and health insurance and um, high quality early care and education opportunities? So again, Healthy eating and physical activity are really important, but as consequential in terms of whether or not a child, you know, is going to struggle with obesity are all of those other factors. So, um, again, no magic silver bullet here, but I think the importance of really lifting up um, the profound impact that all of these determinants have on a child's health and well-being. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.